0: Today on Blue 58, it's not their biggest need, but the Packers can certainly use some help rushing the passer, and fortunately, there are a lot of edge rushers to choose from this year. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. very happy to be with you here for another episode. Edge rushers, there are a lot of them in this class. Overall impressions of the edge rush class... I would say it's as good as advertised. We've heard that the edge is one of the deepest groups in this year's class of players overall. I would have to agree. It is deep and it is wide. There are a lot of quality pass rushers and there are a lot of different kinds of prospects. Before we start getting into who those guys are, I got to talk through some methodology for how we identified players we want to talk about. First, what is an edge rusher? This is the only position we really have to define anymore. It gets a little bit tricky, but basically it's a person who lines up on the edge of the defense, either standing up or with his hand on a, on the ground, and primarily is trying to rush the passer. This could be a traditional 4-3 defensive end, or it could be a stand-up 3-4 outside linebacker type. It gets a little bit squishy in there, and some people's definitions are um, are, are going to be a little bit different. Uh, some people will define a player as an edge rusher. Some people will say, no, he's an interior defensive alignment. We may miss some guys as a result, but this is going to be an ongoing process. The second part is that this is an ongoing process. Part of the problem with the draft process and talking through, through guys is their data comes in at different times. To wit, uh, D'Angelo Moore out of Western Kentucky looks like he's going to be a really good prospect. Uh, he hits a lot of our thresholds. He's been productive. He's got pretty close to ideal size, but we don't know his testing numbers yet. Didn't test at the combine, and his pro day isn't until April 1st. So we don't know exactly how he's going to run through our system. We don't know where he's going to end up falling. Right now, and I'll explain what this means in a second, he is our uh, a tier three prospect in our system, but that's just because we only have got his productivity numbers. We don't have the athleticism numbers numbers are how we're going to scout here. I am not a film grinder. I cannot claim to be. Uh I don't have that skill set or the time or the desire to do that. But I think there are still ways to identify good prospects using pretty much numbers alone. This is a process prospect process we've been defining and refining over the past few years to help us identify prospects and it has been pretty consistent so far. This is, at least for edge rushers, the purest depiction of the process we talked about in the last episode. We've got three tiers of guys we want to look at. We want to look for guys that are productive and athletic. We want to look for guys that are athletic, but maybe not as productive. And then finally, we want to look for guys that are productive, but just not as athletic. And that is for some obvious reasons, I think, especially at edge rusher. Uh, You want super athletes on the edge anyway. That's just how that position works. If you're not a super duper athlete, you're not really going to succeed in the NFL. I think we see that again and again and again. Even the guys who don't test well, but end up succeeding in the NFL, you can see their athleticism on tape. It's as it's, it's close to an ironclad rule as you can get in the NFL. That's where the athletes are. You have to be a great athlete to succeed on the edge. We're also going to look for guys that are athletic but not productive. So if you can't have both, I'd rather you have the athleticism over the productivity because I think you can refine a guy's game and help him become more productive as a pass rusher. Rashawn Gary, probably the the typical example there, the perfect example of that, was not super productive in college, has just continued to become more productive in the NFL as he's refined his game and has managed to harness that prodigious athleticism that he has. And finally, you want guys... That are productive, maybe but not as athletic. These are guys that are going to be late round prospects, probably, that you find ways to work in because I think, in situational pass rushing, you can succeed as a guy who's technically uh, precise and good, uh, but may not be an overwhelming athlete. Uh, because if you're coming on just in a third down situation to rush the passer, even if you're not as great an athletic a, a, an athlete as some of the other pass rushers out there, I think you can succeed as a pass rusher, just on on technique alone, because the the big name pass rushers are probably going to be drawing more attention in those obvious passing situations this process too is round agnostic we are looking by pro, looking for prospects unweighted by round i think a lot of draft preview stuff ends up being pretty boring because you only end up talking about guys that are going to be available in the first round I don't think that's a good use of our time because, as we know, the draft is seven rounds long. And even if you are a, a die-hard anti-Day 3 person, there's still a lot of good prospects that go on Day 3. And we want to be able to talk about the good prospects that are available later in the draft. Uh, for an example there, a couple years ago, 2020 draft, our process identified both Patrick Taylor and Jonathan Garvin as likely guys the Packers should be looking for. And wouldn't you know it, both of those guys actually ended up on the Packers. That was a big win, it felt like for me personally, just as, as validation of what we're looking for. But also, it showed that, that the process does work because both of those guys have stuck around with the Packers now for a while. And Garvin actually was, was kind of sneaky good last year. He's not going to be really probably ever a star in the NFL, but he had a 10% pressure rate. Uh, he was a key special, team con- special teams contributor, and our process helped uncover him. He was identified as a guy the Packers should be looking at, and, and they did, and now he's, he's in Green Bay and succeeding. Let's define our terms then. So we want to look at athleticism and productivity. What is the athleticism threshold we're going to be looking at? We've talked about it for years now. Relative athletic score developed by Kent Lee Platt is the gold standard for simple athleticism measures. Yep, there's all sorts of stuff that you can look at. Uh, the Seahawks liked Nike's Spark metric for a long time. Every team's got some version of this. The Packers have pretty well-defined athletic thresholds that they like to hit. This is a single number that goes from 0 to ten. Zero is bad, 10 is elite. We're looking for guys that fall into that elite category, and by Kent's numbers, elite is a relative athletic score of 8+. plus. The Packers have a defined preference for looking for guys that hit that mark, so we're going to incorporate that into our search for prospects, and that'll be true for most of the prospects we look at. In terms of productivity, I'm going to fall back on the production ratio stat we've, we've banked on for a few years. Now, this isn't perfect, but I think it's a good ballpark measure. Production ratio takes your sacks and tackles for loss and divides them up uh, as a ratio in, in terms of the amount of games that you've played in. A figure of one or more is generally considered good. So if you ha- play in 10 games and you've got five sacks and five tackles for loss, your production ratio would be 1.0 for our purposes, I bumped that threshold up to 1.5. we will, We're looking for guys that are dominant at the college level, regardless of the competition they're playing against. So production ratio of one and a half or better should depict that. Obviously, not all stats are created equal, and there are always going to be qualifiers for every situation. But by and large, that tends to be a good measure to look at. It has worked for us in the past. It It's generally suited us pretty well. Most guys who are below one or one and a half tend to not pan out super well at the NFL level. Most guys that are above that tend to at least have some success. You combine that with athleticism, I think you've got a pretty good prospect. This year, we're only going to be spending time in the podcast looking at guys that fall into tier one by our our little rubric there. So we want guys that are productive and athletic. I'm going to try... No promises. Depending on on how real life time works, I'm going to try to put up posts breaking down each position group at thepowersweep.com this year, so you get the full list of of all the guys that we're looking at, and and breakdowns of all the guys that I think are in tier one, as well as descriptions of guys that are in tier one, tier two and tier three. No promises. We're going to try. Um, it just depends how time works out outside of podcast time. Before we get into the prospects, um, a good way for you to go deeper on this discussion would be to join our Discord server, and you can only do that if you're a member of our Patreon. Patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Contribute any dollar amount per month, and you will have access to our Discord server, where you can talk about draft to your heart's content with uh, fans from all over the world. Yesterday, we were talking about um, all things Packers uh, as you know, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling signed with the Chiefs. Good for him. We we had some pro days going on yesterday. The the draft chat was was going pretty pretty robustly, and uh, a lot of good stuff going on there. I, I love different approaches from people. People look at the draft differently than I do, and I think that's great because we get different perspectives in there, and we got some real draft diehards in there. So if that is what you like to talk about, you will have good company in the Power Sweep's Discord server. Plus, it's just a great community. There's a lot of good people there, and uh, you get a chance to get some interesting and different perspectives on the Packers and football and and how that all fits together. So patreon.com slash the Power Sweep. Contribute any dollar amount per month, or you can pay yearly if you like now, too, and you will get access to that as well as some other bonus content, too. Today, I want to shout out uh, Patreon supporters James Leeper, John Kelly, and Becca Watts. Each of them have been contributors to the Power Sweep since 2021. We thank you all and uh, appreciate your support. So, this year's prospects. Again, only looking at the tier one guys, we are going alphabetical by last name. And there will be a notable uh, omission here. We'll talk about him at the end. First up, tier one prospects, alphabetical by last name. That brings us to Amari Barno out of Virginia Tech, six foot five young man, 246 pounds a relative athletic score of 9.72 and a production ratio of 1.5 on the dot. If you like length, you like Amare Barno. Six foot six is his listed height in some places. Everybody else puts him at least at six foot five. Looking at his body frame, it looks like he could add some weight if he wanted to. Right now, he kind of looks like a stork playing football, but that stork is very scary. He gets around the field really quickly got great length and he uses it to uh, really make things difficult for college tackles. But if you just like length, you're fine. If you like length and weight, you might have a problem here because he is very light. And with that, I think comes some struggles against higher end competition. If you look at his stats, he had a lot of production against some bad opponents. And that makes his, well, for instance, production ratio look a lot better than it might normally would, especially since he only played 21 college games. If you go by his bio at Virginia Tech, actually, he played 24 games, had three games that did not show up on, on college football reference. If you go by those numbers, his production ratio would actually be below 1.5. Okay, you can quibble if you want. Um... He's kind of a borderline prospect in some ways, but he does hit our thresholds. He reminds me a little bit of Tepa Nali'i, big old stork of a dude. He's going to need to add weight, but there are some desirable tools there, and that athleticism and that production together makes you fairly desirable. Next up is Jermaine Johnson, the second out of Florida State, a six foot five, two hundred fifty four pound prospect who looks, if I have to be honest, considerably heavier than that. He's pretty thick through the lower half. A relative athletic score of 9.57, production ratio just over 1.5, at 1.52. If you look at him, he's got prototypical size and length, and he's productive too. If you look at his film, if you look even just at the highlights, it looks like he can hold up against the run, whereas Barno, only about 6 to 8 pounds lighter, gets pushed around in the run. Johnson doesn't quite look that way. He's much stouter than Barno, despite not being all that much heavier. I have some pause about his path to this point. So nobody can deny the production he had at Florida State, but he is the consummate late bloomer. He's only got 28 college games under his belt, he had a breakout season at Florida State in 2021, which really shot him up draft boards. But prior to that, he had 16 pretty nondescript games at Georgia and was a JUCO college project or a JUCO prospect before that. It's It's been a while. That's not to say he can't be productive in the NFL, but if you're looking for guys with a solid top-to-bottom resume, guys that have not been productive for a long time, I think there's reason to be a little bit concerned there. You wonder if you get a one-year wonder. Josh Jackson has says hello. Guys like that still can be good, but if you're looking for a round one or two edge, I think you'd like a little bit more consistent domination. However, as I did say in the in the last episode, if there's one thing that I think causes guys to slide that I think you can overlook a little bit, especially beyond the first round, it's production. Because if a guy still has athletic traits, like we've said, you can get by on the other stuff. You can you can work up the other stuff, at least in theory. It's a lot harder to add to your game, though, if you don't have, have that atle- at, elite athleticism baseline. And Johnson does have that. He reminds me a little bit of Preston Smith. When he's good, He'll be really solid and probably a part of every play, but it does look like he can disappear from time to time, too. Next up is George Karlaftis out of Purdue, a very interesting prospect and fun to watch in a, well, I'll describe it here in a second. Six foot four, 266 pounds, a relative athletic score of 8.72, so not quite the testing phenom that some of these other guys have, but still athleticism to spare. Productive, too, 1.65 production ratio. If you like thick edge setter dudes, Mr. Karlaftis is the man for you because he is going to be a rock on the edge all the time. 270 pound edge range with this kind of productivity is pretty, pretty rare. But even if you look just at the highlights, even if you don't watch him down in and down out, he is just a mauler. And that's all he is. There is no subtlety to his game at all, which is a little bit concerning if you're looking for a guy who's going to come in and and be successful in the NFL. Because if you can't overwhelm guys with athleticism, you're going to have problems if you don't have any additional counter moves and things like that. At least Rashawn Gary, when he was coming out, Had some of that. He had some pass rush moves. It wasn't super refined. Karlaftis doesn't seem to have that at all. His entire plan appears to be I'm going to run through your face and see what happens from there. And most of the time in college, it worked out for him. But in the NFL, that may be a bit of a problem. As a result, he reminds me a little bit of Nick Perry. Remember the monster edge the Packers drafted back in 2012 was one of the very first posts I ever wrote on the now dearly departed Packer perspective dot com, um, was highlighting Nick Perry's selection in the 2012 NFL draft. Perry, an athletic marvel at the position, uh, like Karlaftis, in that 265, 270-pound range, but no subtlety to his game at all either. His entire thing was he was going to try to bulldoze you back into the quarterback, and it could be effective at times. And Karlaftis seems like a guy who could be successful with that as well. And I think if Perry was a second-rounder, where it seems like most people have Karlaftis' pegged it going. Uh, he, I think Perry would have gotten a lot more slack in Green Bay, but he wasn't, so he didn't. And well, you saw how his career played out as a result. Plus he was hurt all the time too. Never helps there either. Our next prospect, we just got to take a little bit of a sidestep here uh, to talk about David Ojabo out of Michigan, or 6'4", 250. Relative athletic score, 935. Very productive, 1.62 production ratio going to put a pin in Ojabo because I'm not really sure how to handle him because he had the unique circumstances of being a close to ideal looking prospect in a lot of ways, but he tore his Achilles during his pro day. There was some talk that that might be an ankle injury right after it happened turned out to be pretty much the worst case scenario and Achilles is about as bad as it gets. Now, recovery from injuries like that is a lot different than it used to be, and this is by no means a death sentence to his career as it would have once been, but how do you evaluate that sort of guy? At least for now, and probably for a year to a year and a half, I would say, the player he was at Michigan is gone. We can't evaluate him on what he was at Michigan. We've just got to wait and see what he is post-injury recovery. And a lot of people are are talking about the Cam Akers recovery from Achilles stuff as a model for Ojabo, which is great, but Ojabo is 250 pounds. He's considerably bigger than Akers, and no two injuries are alike. Packers fans should know that all too well when it comes to that sort of injury recovery, not Achilles specifically, but David Bakhtiari took nearly a year to get back on the field from his ACL, and he still didn't make it really all the way back. And that's not anybody's fault. It's just how things go sometimes. Everybody's body is different. And trying to predict how Ojabo could recover from an ACL injury just seems like a fool's errand to me. And that's a real bummer for him because it cost him literally millions of dollars. I, I There's one draft guy that I follow who suggested this may be a $10 million injury for him, which is just brutal. But that is Unfortunately, the way things go sometimes, I know that is of no comfort at all to Ojabo or his family or his fans, but it, it's just a real bummer. So I don't really know what you do with him in the short term. So we're going to, to pause on him, note that he would be in our tier one of prospects, but there's nothing we can really do in, in terms of discussion until we see who he is post-injury. Would I take a guy like him coming off the Achilles? Probably not in rounds one or two, but you start getting down to round three. If he's there, maybe you bet on the upside there. And buying a distressed asset um i guess if you think about it like real estate terms and uh hoping the the neighborhood around it develops a little bit more and you know you see see how things go from there recovery is a funny thing though um and uh, i think if you if you go to the right situation it it could could play out well if it doesn't if you don't uh maybe not so well but if if he came to green bay you can bet they'd be cautious with him and and um maybe turn him into something down the road but that, again, is a problem because the Packers need help on the edge now. So, in theory, I would probably draft him. I don't know if that's a good idea for the Packers. And In fact, I would come down on probably the no side there. Next up is Kayvon Thibodeau, or Thibodeau out of Oregon. six four, 254-pound, prospect, 9'7", relative athletic score, production ratio of 1.82. Look, we don't have to spend a ton of time on him because there's no way that he falls to the Packers. Uh, a slide for him would be going like fifth overall. He's fun to watch. It's like if Zadarius Smith was longer and leaner. There's really nothing to dislike about Thibodeau. He gets the classic unrefined label a lot in scouting reports. That's fine. He, he, that doesn't bother me with that production, that athleticism. I think you bet on him figuring out how to refine his game at the NFL level because no prospect is ever a sure thing. And again, if you're going to bet on anybody, bet on the guy who's the freak athlete, who's got albatross arms and has been productive at a high level of college football already. He reminds me, like I said, of a longer leaner, Zedaria Smith. And it's it's really hard to come up with a Packers comparison for him because the Packers haven't really had a guy as bendy and explosive as him unless you start looking way back in the history books like uh, you know Willie Davis and stuff like that. But I don't know really how you make meaningful comparisons back to 60s era pass rushers. It, it, it's a different sport. And these are a different basically almost a different species of human being at this point in terms of the athletic gifts that they have. Not maybe gifts, but the athletic training they have and how they're able to harness their inherent athletic gifts. That's probably a better way of putting it. These are different people now than they used to be that we're evaluating in the draft. Final prospect in Tier 1, Sam Williams out of Ole Miss. Six foot four, two hundred and sixty-one pounds, nine six five relative athletic score, production ratio of one point five seven. He is as explosive as it gets. 446, 40 yard dash at 260 plus pounds. Great jumping numbers. If you like a well-rounded pass rusher, Williams is not it. He is he looks like pretty much just a pass rusher. Though he does get in the backfield, the, the tackle for loss numbers are good. Even on highlights, though, you can see him getting washed out against the run. And a couple of the sacks you see on his highlight tape from from Ole Miss, um, it's it's a result of him getting pushed out of the way and the quarterback basically running out of the pocket, and Williams just tracks him down from there because he's got wide receiver speed at 260 pounds. I don't think he holds up against the run in the NFL, but you can still make a lot of money as a sub package rusher in the NFL. Maybe a Jonathan Garvin type player. It's worth noting that Williams has met with the Packers, a top thirty visit there, um, for whatever that does for you. Some people think that means a lot. Other people not so much. But um, just just worth noting there. Also had a notable suspension in college for a charge that he was ultimately that was ultimately dropped. He he did not ultimately face charges in that case. But it is worth noting that is that is part of the backstory there. Mm-hmm. Those are the tier one guys, and I can hear the butts coming. But 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 what about Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan, potential number one overall pick? Yes. What about Aiden Hutchinson? He is, according to our rubric here, a Tier 2 prospect. A dynamo of an athlete. Cannot take that away from him. But a production ratio of 1.25. And I'm fine with that. Um, As a production ratio, that's fine. That's not something that would scare me off. But I'm fine also with uh, putting him in Tier 2 as a prospect. Why is that? I think it's okay to ding guys who do not dominate their level of competition. And as good as Hutch- Hutchinson was in, in the Big Ten, consistent dominance is what we're looking for here. And he was not a, a super dominant prospect. Kind of a late bloomer. 2020 threw a wrench in his works too, for sure. Uh, but he hasn't put it up year over year the same way that other guys have. And I think that's, that's worth noting. So that bumps him down to tier two. He's still going to be a great pro, I would guess. If it comes down to him or Thibodeau, which seems to be the discussion towards the top of the draft. I bet on the guy who's done it, who's slightly less of an athlete by like fractions, hundreds, hundredths of a point. Uh, but you know, just as a as a matter of fact, he is not the the prospect that uh, that Thibodeau is. Hutchinson is not. I also want to note, like we said up top, that uh, Western Kentucky's D'Angelo Malone may be a tier one guy, but he hasn't had his pro day yet. Uh, crazily, he has played 61 games, essentially did his c- senior year twice because of COVID, but kept producing despite that wrench in the works there. Just kept putting up good numbers again and again and again. Sure, smaller college, weaker competition, but long-term productivity here is something you can't really deny either. Finally, as we noted, some people's positional definitions are going to to vary a little bit. The source list that I use to come up with my prospects—excuse me, bump bumped the mic there—is uh, uh, CBS's top 400 prospects in their draft coverage. Some of their positional definitions get to be a little little bit of a problem. Boye Mafé out of uh, Minnesota, for instance, was listed as a defensive lineman in their, their database, probably an edge rusher. Uh, for our purposes here, a Stanford's Thomas Booker— Falls into the edge rusher camp, but at six foot four and three hundred and ten pounds, he's probably more of an interior defensive lineman guy. Really, really interesting though. Nine eight eight relative athletic score moves really well for his size, and his productivity, his PR is in the point seven range, more in line with an interior defensive lineman. It it gets harder to to really ding guys on the interior defensive line for, for not getting a whole ton of sacks at the college level. It you do get guys that are that are productive from that position group but it's it's not quite the same as on the edge so we we lower the thresholds a little bit there still probably wouldn't meet them at the at the defensive line portion here but um a, an interesting prospect great athletes at that size are are fun to have and uh, he certainly is one so those are the edge rushers uh, we've got a few really good tier 1 guys and there's a lot of of great guys in tier 2 as well who do you like in this class uh, reach out to us, maybe drop us a note on Discord if you're a member of the server there, or uh, find us where else we are on the web, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, though I haven't been in the comments there as much recently. Life has been getting in the way recently. It's been a, been a busy time here at PowerSweep headquarters. But I want, to, I want this to be interactive, and I want us to be able to, to backfill on prospects, too, as we get more information about some of these guys, these rankings may change. So let me know. I would love to hear from you. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you on this episode. I appreciate you listening in, and I appreciate everybody who takes the time to download this episode and share it with a friend. That is the number one way we grow, through your word of mouth. Get other people listening to the show. That gets more people into the conversation you and I and everybody else are having about this great football team we call the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, maybe me especially, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.